Welcome to Idaho Catholic Podcast. This is Deacon Pat, and I got a room full of people here. I'm glad that you're joining us tonight. We have a great topic to share with you. And let's go around the table, you guys, and introduce yourselves and let the listeners know who is here tonight. This is Ryan. And this is John. Mike is here. Um, And Daryl, I'm visiting. Great, great, great. So it's been a, gosh, a week since we've been together since our last uh, topic. And uh, what do you guys want to talk about tonight? Well, I recently gave a presentation, I guess this Sunday, at uh, the adult formation class about active participation in the Mass, and um, uh, I only I only had enough time to touch on the external actions and uh, what they mean, it's things like dipping your hand in the holy water, even making the sign of the cross, or sitting in the pew, um, so we could talk about that. Yeah, that would be great. You know, I missed this last weekend. Um, Liz and I were out of town, and so I'd love to hear what uh, some of the topics were. Um, John and, and Mike, did, were you guys at the talk? Yeah. Yep, I was there. So, now honestly, did he do a good job, you guys? I saw some people like shifting their seats quite a bit, <laughs> but not. <clears throat> it was good. It was, it was a good reminder of how to worship God, not just involves our mind. You know, I, I think Jesus harped on lots of people especially the Pharisees, for being whitewashed tombs. Outside they looked great, but inside there was death. And so we put a lot of emphasis on it's the heart that matters. It's what's going on inside you don't know. And that's true, but we also worship gods with our bodies. And with it's important to do all the movements with reverency and respect as an act of worship. You know, yeah. got to keep your mind in check too. I find myself externally doing great but internally, totally missing the boat. Yeah. You know what I think would help you tremendously is if you uh, turned to your right and you turned to your left during the Our Father and you stretched out your hand and you held hands <laughs> with everybody. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> oh boy, we're going to offend some people with that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, moving along. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Ryan, jump well, right in. Well, yeah, both... both uh, I guess active participation, it's important to realize it, it involves both interior and exterior movements. Um, you know, obviously we have to um, be in the right mindset and be, be, um, be prayerful interiorly, but we're also, we're physical beings. So, um, and as Catholics, we're a really sacramental church. We, uh, we worship God and and we see God through his creation and that's really as as a sacramental church it's um it's really kind of at the forefront of the mass a lot of times um we have all these different actions um we have uh beautiful things beautiful art beautiful buildings that um bring our mind to the the mysteries we're we're celebrating and um we have music you know so all kinds of physical aspects that they're really important to to pay attention to. They matter. They matter. It matters what we do and what we say. Um, so I I took a lot of material from uh, a hero of mine. He's, he's a Benedictine monk named Cashin Folsom. He's a, a liturgical scholar, and he's uh, the founder of a monastery in Norcia in Italy. They brew beer to support their monastery, and it's pretty good, so... 
Yeah, he likes liturgy and he likes beer. So he's one of my heroes. You can mail order it, right? Yeah, you can mail. You can go on their website and order it. How does that work? Can can you really? It's really expensive, but you can ship it here. Yeah. It seems like it would be flat by the time, or you know, spoiled. I don't know. know. No. So what? What kind of bottle? What kind of beer is it though? Is it it like a Belgian? Um, Or I don't know what all kinds they have. Yeah, I've only I've tried I've tried it once, so. I don't and, even remember where, what I what's had. What's the location of the place? It's Norcia, so I'm not sure exactly where that is in Italy. I think it's in the northern half. It's the birthplace of Saint Benedict. So, in a way, so they're Benedictine monks, and they've kind of they've gone back to the birthplace of Saint Benedict and started a Benedictine monastery. So very cool, very cool. Yeah. Wow. Anyway, so he's also he's a he's a liturgical expert um and he presents at a lot of conferences and stuff so i was reading this article in the Autoramus bulletin which is a magazine that i highly recommend for everyone to read Autoramus. the Autoramus bulletin oh. yeah yeah it's it's basically a magazine that's devoted to helping people participate in the mass more fully and helping priests uh celebrate it more beautifully and so if you have teenagers, you should subscribe to that and leave yes. it laying around on the yeah. coffee table. Yeah, I think you can actually read it online for free, but I subscribe because I want the paper copy. So yeah, cool. Yeah, cool. So, gosh, I have some some things to share, but I want to listen a little bit first. So go keep going, Ryan. Okay. Um, let's see. Well, he goes in this uh, article I was reading. He goes through the mass. So he he starts out with um, holy water. The first thing you wa- first thing you do when you walk into the church is you dip your hand into the holy water font and make the sign of the cross. So so he says that uh, there's three reasons we do this. The first is in repentance for our sins, for protection against Satan, against the evil one, and to remind us of our own baptism. <clears throat> And, uh, and he quotes this beautiful prayer called the Asperges, which is from the traditional Mass, but uh, we don't really use it anymore. But whenever, whenever the priest would, you know, several times a year, have the little bucket of holy water and walk, walk around the church and sprinkle everybody, the rite of sprinkling, he, uh, everyone traditionally would sing this prayer called the Asperges. And it's from Psalm 50. So it goes like this. You will sprinkle me with hyssop, and I shall be cleansed. You will wash me, and I shall be made whiter than snow. So it's a beautiful prayer that the people would sing that reminded us of, of um, you know, God's cleansing power in the in the holy water. Um, and also, I guess it it kind of reminds you that. Well, okay, I guess I'll I'll get to that in my next one. So the next one was uh, for protection against the evil one. And uh, the 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 traditional prayer, he's, he goes through a lot of traditional things here because they're so beautiful, I guess. But the traditional prayer for the blessing of holy water um, said, goes like this. O God, creator of unconquered power, king of invincible empire and victor ever great, who put down the powers of hostile dominion and conquer the fury of the roaring enemy, who fight powerfully against our wicked foes, trembling we beseech you, O Lord, we implore you and beg you that you might graciously look upon this creature of water and salt, kindly illumine it, sanctify it with the dew of your loving kindness, so that wherever it is sprinkled, through the invocation of your holy name, 
every infestation of the unclean spirit be cast out, and the terror of the poisonous serpent be driven far away. And may the presence of the Holy Spirit deign to be with us always, we who implore your mercy. So I thought this prayer was a beautiful reminder that holy water is not just like sort of this magic spell that we sprinkle around. It's uh, it's basically when when the priest blesses the holy water, he's kind of like pre-praying for anything that the holy water might touch, praying for God's blessing upon that thing or that person or that place. <clears throat> so I thought that was, uh, I, I don't know, I guess it's kind of rare that we probably hear priests bless holy water, so yeah. I remember not too long ago when Father Ullincott, didn't didn't he um, didn't he do a, like a blessing of the water and then he the blessing of the salt and then he put the salt in the water yeah and then we used that for the the blessing of the people yeah, that's the only yeah. time I've experienced that that was the only time yeah. I've ever experienced that and I I just thought it was so beautiful and so I think there's a lot of these kind of traditions of the faith that have just kind of faded away yeah and I, I don't know why because they're so beautiful even like the prayers that you were just sharing right now yeah they're, it, they're so poetic well and beautiful and, but, but it's also a reminder like when you were when you were reading that and you were saying this is what they how they used to start um right after when they would come into the church they would sing it or say that prayer well that was the the rite of sprinkling yeah oh, okay the, the rite of sprinkling yeah. but even the just the beautiful words and the holiness of those words um i it had to be a reminder to parishioners yeah. of really just what they're starting what they're embracing what they're participating in and i i think we've toned down you know our masses so much or tried to make them so streamlined or efficient that mm-hmm. uh that we're losing a lot of the beauty of the faith. Yeah. So I, I, I imagine there's a lot of rites like that or prayers, I'm not sure what the right term for it, mm-hmm. that <clears throat> have been lost. Well, yeah, I'll just say that word. They've been lost since the Novus <clears throat> Ordo came out and the, how the Mass has been, like you said, streamlined. Right, right. Yeah. And I think there's we're missing out on, on a lot of the beauty of the Church. I, I, I don't want to... You know, some folks might say, oh, you're just being too, you're trying to be holier than the Pope. You're trying to be too staunchy and, and pious. And I, I, I liken it to like the differences in beauty of sunsets. They're all beautiful. Every sunset's beautiful. But you got to admit, there's some sunsets that are just spectacular and yeah. some that are just, you know, that's cool. Yeah. And it's like the mass. It can be celebrated like a full high Latin mass can be is just awe-inspiring, beautiful. And then you have like just the quick Novus Ordo mass that you certainly received Jesus, and it certainly was beautiful, but to a different degree. And I wish we had more opportunity in our current churches to experience that beauty. I think it's been lost. Yeah, yeah. there's a couple of things that used to be just automatic um, in, at, at most churches and a lot of the churches don't have them anymore. One is just the prayerful, quiet time before the beginning of the Mass where you could pray. You know, when, when you think about coming to Mass and, and you think about the very beginning where we call to mind our sins and and we have the penitential, right? But that time before Mass that it was quiet, that you could pray, you could reflect upon your week, you could reflect upon what what are you bringing you know, to Mass that day you know, not only your thankfulness, but, but the times that you've fallen, 
things that you're asking forgiveness for and really prepare yourself for this holy encounter that, that you're going to have, you know, first experiencing, you know, Christ in the word and then experiencing Christ in the Eucharist. So that's kind of gone, that quiet time. The other thing is, mm-hmm. and this is what I used to love tremendously, is after you receive Jesus, that most intimate union of, of receiving him, you'd go back to the pew and you'd kneel down and you'd, it would be quiet. You'd have time of quiet reflection of, of what you've just encountered with Christ. Um, you rarely have periods of quiet anymore after, yeah. after you receive Yeah, Father Ullincott used to do that. Right. Yeah. And that was a standard. That was just kind of a standard that, that was at the masses. So yeah. when I did a version of this topic last year, when I, when I taught this class, um, so on active participation, and one thing I think is important is to, to think about what do we mean by active participation in the Mass? So do we just mean uh, saying things, standing, sitting, making phys- physical gestures? So you're using the example of when you walk into the church and you uh, put your, your fingers into the holy water font and make the sign of the cross. Are you just making these gestures or are you also reflecting and silently reflecting on what's happening at mass Mm -hmm. so the first time that active participation was used by a pope was actually in the early 20th century by saint pope Pius x um before what document can you name the document i can't can you can you name the year (laughs) 1910 trolley solicitude in 1903 oh 1903 i'm impressed very astute he's looking at his player cards So, but oh, yeah, sorry, like, do ahead. do we just mean doing these physical gestures, or do we mean uh, going through the gestures? Yes, but also reflecting on what's happening. And I, I think it's easy to Can to I, not do that. May I interject a point here? And I don't mean to de- derail this this conversation at all. But uh, Darren and Mike, you know, all three of us are converts to the faith, and I was wondering if we might be able to speak about. Um, the concept of what participation in maths really is. Mm-hmm. So from a Protestant perspective, if I were to go to a church service, my participation would be sitting there as a spectator, right? As a mm-hmm. spectator drawing in all of the, you know, the, the words, the gospel, you know, those sorts of things. Let's... Let's contrast, I guess, for, for those that might not be Catholic and not have that quite the understanding. What do we mean by active participation? And how does Catholic Mass differ from maybe like a, a service that you might go to at a Pentecostal service or Lutheran or something like that? There, there was something, something that I learned uh, much later, after uh, you know, attending services for a while, that that I realized that I'm not just a spectator there, but I'm actually a participant. I'm participating with the priest and with the deacon and with all the other uh, others there in the congregation. I'm actually participating in the sacrifice of the mass. So was wondering if maybe one of you guys can articulate that maybe a little bit better than I, than I could. I don't know that I can articulate it better, but I just wanted to add one point. <clears throat> and, and I always, I try to visualize this during the mass to, um, 
when, when I'm participating in the Mass, is it's not just us that's there. We actually participate, all of heaven is participating right, right. at the same yeah. time. And so I, I often think of my parents who have passed away, and that every Mass, especially at the, you know, at, at, at the time of consecration, I remember Scott Hahn in, in his book, The Lamb's Supper, talked about the most holy, holy part of the Mass um, at the consecration is when actually heaven and earth touch each other mm-hmm. and become one. And I think of when that happens, I think of, you know, my parents are right there and they're participating, you know, at the same time. And mm-hmm. I have a I have an older sister that, that I never met. She only lived one day, um, but her name's Kathy. And I always think of, oh, Kathy's there, you know, and I'm participating. And so it's it's much bigger than just what we see happening in that mm-hmm. building. It's, it's, this, it's this unity of this thing that's happening that's just supernatural. Yeah. I guess one yeah. of the things, too, that I learned is through our, our baptism, we are also called to be priests. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're not, we're not ordained priests by any, any stretch of the imagination, but in the Old Covenant, um, only a priest could offer sacrifice. Whereas in with the new covenant, um, all of us are priests. We might not be ordained, but we're we're actively participating. We're actively conducting that sacrifice along with the priests. You know, we're our sacrifices are bringing our you know our needs, our prayers, our our sins, our shortcomings, those t- types of things. Um, you know, prayers for others, um, and, and actively. That's what I get from it, uh, you know, a talk of this nature of, of participation, realizing that you are not just sitting there watching things happening, but uh, without you, it can't. Well, I suppose it could if you just, <laughs> you know, a priest could celebrate Mass, I guess, on his own. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really, without without the congregation, it's it's kind of empty, right? And mm-hmm. so to, to get the fullness of a mass is the, the actual participation of all the priests together in union with that ordained priest who is uh, uh, guiding us and leading us. Um, yeah. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, that's yeah I think, yeah, I think like as the priests of the baptized, we're called to, to participate in the prayer of the the ordained priest who is who is representing Christ the head of the priesthood right so he's you know it's not like we're all equal to the priest in that in that same office but yeah we definitely are called to participate as as the priesthood of the baptized you know with Vatican too they talked about they really restructured kind of the hierarchy and I remember this has been a long time ago but I remember when I was in school um, they, they talked about that and, and before you had this hierarchy where you had kind of Joe, Joe the parishioner and then it went up you know to the priests and then, and there's there's you know a, a level to, to kind of the, the a staggered level there. But then when Vatican II came about, they really changed the diagram really instead of this level system going up, it was more of a circular where with, with you know the Pope in the middle and it kind of went out but but it's but they said really, Yes, we all have distinct roles to play, but there is not one that's higher or more powerful than the other. We all just have distinct roles in our life that we play, and we're all part of, really, this union Mm. of this Catholic faith. I thought that was pretty interesting. Mm. Is that really what Vatican II taught, or was that that an 
interpretation that someone came up with afterwards? That's a great question because I can't yeah, I quote know. it out of a document. But because um, it seems like yeah. in all of God's kingdom has hierarchy, right? Yeah. There's hierarchy of angels. There's there's hierarchy in in what he creates, and it just seems like that's maybe an oddity. They, maybe they were getting. No, I'm just away. talking off the top of my head here, you know. Yeah, and, maybe though that that they were getting away from clericalism, really. Yeah, exactly. And, and um, I, again, I can't, I can't quote it from a document. It was right. in one of my classes, and I remember that one of the professors was talking about it, and he made it a made it a point. And, and I think it had to do... But you went to school in California, right? I did. I did. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but, um, but they really made it a point that, that really to counteract clericalism. Sure. And that we all mm. um, have you know, distinct roles to play. And, and I think it was really to empower really the laity to, to really embrace your faith and, and, and not to rely on others. You know, for yeah. your spirituality. Yeah, I think it had the the um, the effect of of uh, you know good and bad with that because from Mike from uh, you know the aspects that you brought up of of uh, maybe it not being as reverent as it was before, like a high Latin mass, you know that sort of thing, where it's uh, I don't want to use the term dumbed down, but it's you know much more streamlined, right? Mm-hmm. And that we're trying to get them in and out, those Simplified, sorts of things, yeah. right? I, yeah, and to go back and, to your and and right. then so with the with the um, you know post Vatican II that it was brought more out um, um, instead of you know the priest performing everything and it was it was like the clericalism if you will um, mm-hmm. uh, where those uh, those efforts began to be shared with the with the congregation it was the we'd like the congregation the laity to participate in the mass so it was it was kind of opening it up in in that regard. Yeah, because um, what I was told now, um, even though I'm much older than you guys, I was I was born um, right when Vatican II um, happened. But um, but the, I was told that a lot of people would go to mass and they would show up and they would actually just pray the rosary while mm-hmm. the priest was saying the prayers, and, and so they weren't engaged at all. So I think that was the idea was was right. to really get mm-hmm. the people to participate more of, of this act of participation that we're talking about yeah but but i think somehow we, we missed the mark now it wasn't right. that you know that that the bishops um made bad decisions i i think it was guided by the holy spirit but it's how those decisions were interpreted and and enacted in the parishes one of the problems that we had was when you turned the priest around um it for many of the priests it became a show <laughs> Then at that mm-hmm. point, instead of just this reverent prayer, you, you yeah. can look at some of these priests and how they do their homilies. And and um, and I don't want to categorize all of them together because they're all different. But but I've known some priests that, you know, will come down into the aisle way and they're very, um, I don't, what would you say it? Um, Evangelical. I, almost, I saw a YouTube yeah, video of that yeah. recently. It was actually can I get an amen. And, it was and, really well. It, <laughs> maybe wow. not necessarily like that, but it was actually very shocking. Yeah. The uh, the things that the the priest was saying and the way that he was conducting himself, and then that continued in uh, you know not that was happening during the liturgy and during the homily. <laughs> And the liturgy of the Eucharist. I mean, it was just it really carried through with all things. So yeah, I could definitely see that aspect. And see, yeah. and, and that really wasn't a, an issue previously. I think because everything was 
you know, so regimented and you had to say the prayers just right. And yeah. And I remember talking to my spiritual director once and uh, he was saying, you, you know, um, before the, the new mass came, um, there were so many things that you had to do exactly right. And if you messed up on any of them, it would make it like an invalid mass, he was saying. And it was like hundreds of opportunities to mess up. And so he was so thankful when it actually changed because um, um, took a lot of pressure off is what he said. And it, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. You know, I, I, I'm in my mid-40s, and I was born and raised Protestant, converted in 2006. And so for me, it's like I went, I went I've seen enough Protestant protestant services mm-hmm. and i i, I want to see the full beauty of the catholic of the catholic, of the yeah. catholic mass and so the more liturgical the more beautiful it can be the better in my opinion so i say bring it on you know it's mm-hmm. like was well, like my analogy before i want the full beauty of a sunset not just some yeah. little right in the the horizon you know i and, want the fullness and, of, and you know and it, and it doesn't have to be a latin mass it you know it, it doesn't you don't have to go backwards to have a beautiful, beautiful mass. Um, you can have the new mass done beautifully, and it's very, very powerful. Oh yeah. I yeah. remember going. I remember taking our kids um, quite a few years ago to Alabama. We went to um, Birmingham. It was Mother Angelica's place, mm-hmm. and we were down in the basement for a mass. The daily mass was there, and um, and it was just a simple mass, but it was done so reverently. Nothing added, nothing taken away. It was just done so well. And you could just feel, you know, the Holy Spirit. And it was very prayerful. Yeah. And my adolescent son afterwards said, that was one of the holiest masses I've ever been to. And it was nothing special at all. It was just done well. Yeah. Well, Mike, shout out. Oh, Mike, this summer when we went to the uh, summer family camp with uh, Father uh, Nathan Dale, um, when we were celebrating mass there, I mean, that was very, very simple, but the, the two priests that we had were so reverent. I mean, it was an incredible, yeah. uh, powerful experience. I've experienced that too, where something simple, like a little shout out to our local guy here, Alex street. I was at St. Paul's in Napa for a Saturday, Sunday night mass. And it was just him on his guitar, a, a lady singing and a guy on a piano and you know, a guitar, right? Not a, typical liturgical instrument and it was modern day worship songs but it was just done and the spirit or and, and the, the beauty of it was was amazing and that was using contemporary instruments and songs and i i, I like you said mm-hmm. like your, your your boy said i really felt drawn in and the holy spirit mm-hmm. was there it was it was beautiful you know that's a whole another topic we could talk about someday was is is music at mass and you know is, is music a mm-hmm. performance or is it something that's supposed to draw us into the beauty of the mass? And I think um, mm-hmm. that's so. That's another whole topic we yeah. could talk about, you know, someday as well. But I think yeah. that goes, you know, getting us back to your talk though about participation <laughs> and in in all the ways that think, we can participate. Yeah, I think uh, I think what I'm getting from this is we need to, um, like Daryl was, I think, pointing at try to define what you know what does it mean to what is active participation. Uh, oh, that was the question uh, 18 we... minutes ago, wasn't yeah. it? <laughs> I thought so, but... That music is going to start Darryl playing. Wanted to <laughs> talk so and we'll see you next week. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I think we have to we have to realize that 
participation is prime. I, I would say in the in the first, their Cash and Folsom says participation in the first place is something interior. It means that your mind and heart are awake, alert, and engaged, so that your all the powers of your soul are participating in the mystery of Christ's sacrificial love in the mass. That's beautiful. Oh my mm. goodness. Yeah, but then. Secondly, he says that participation involves exterior action, saying things and doing things. So, um, so basically, uh, I think now we, need, we probably need to talk about the the relationship between the soul and the body in in the liturgy and liturgical prayer. Um, and so, Cashman Folsom says that this is a really important theme because modern man has pretty much lost this sense of the unity of his being the unity of body and soul, of the interior and the exterior man. Um, and then uh, he quotes Romano Guardini, who was a famous liturgical theologian of the early 20th century. And Guardini says, The agent acting in the liturgy, the one who prays and offers, is not just the soul or the interior spirit, but man. It's the whole man who carries out liturgical activity. The soul, to be sure, but only insofar as it's giving life to the body. The interior spirit, to be sure, but only insofar as it manifests itself in the body. And it seems like, yeah, in modern times, we have a hard time remembering this relationship because we tend to, we tend to either act as if the body is all there is, or as if there's a big, like this great divorce between the body and the soul. And that the body doesn't matter at all. Yeah, I, I guess, yeah, the Gnostics. We've been dealing with this problem for all of Christian history, probably. Yeah. Maybe all of you know, human human history. Because there's, there's been other religions that tried to focus on just the body or just the soul. So but, all this beauty <clears throat> and all, the, all this that you're sharing, um, how, do, how does a regular Catholic... Um, receive this kind of information other than listening to this podcast i mean how how do people get taught this if you're a new if you're if you're new to the faith or trying to become catholic you can go to rcia and you can learn about the faith but um do, do you think this is an area that we might be lacking in in like adult catechesis of, of people i know we do it you know with our church but a lot of churches don't i don't think it's really common that that adults I mean, because how, how much teaching are they really getting? What, are, what is the average homily? Seven minutes? So how are they actually learning about their faith? Once, once, they, once they receive confirmation, I think a lot of Catholics get no education the rest of their life, other than those couple mm -hmm. of minutes. I, I don't know. Have yeah. any thoughts about that? Well, I have another quote from Guardini who, who kind of speaks to that. I mean, he doesn't offer us the answer, but he, he speaks more about how important that the problem that you just mentioned is so he says that that um so you know he he, he says there's this kind of we kind of act as if there's this divorce between body and soul and that affects us in the liturgy because we are physical and spiritual beings um so he says that filled as we are with the negative formation of the spirit of our age we need to learn once again to live our religion as men fully alive, as St. Irenaeus described it. That is, we must learn to pray with our body as well as our mind. So the way we carry ourselves, our gestures and our actions, these things must become spontaneously religious in themselves. 
We must learn to express our interiority exteriorly and become capable once again of living in a world of symbols. That's beautiful. Yeah. So not to get us off topic again, but this would also be the reason why we would have uh, sacraments, right? Having both, uh, both right. signs yeah. mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. as... And yeah. then it would also be the reason why we do things like fasting and... Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Guardini is, is saying that, yeah, those those physical manifestations of spiritual realities, which is basically, you know, yeah, all those things you mentioned, the sacraments, sacramentals, they're such a huge part of of uh, of being human and worshiping God. That, yeah, it's it's a big problem if we lose them and we can't worship that way. I, I wish so much that, that somehow or other we could get this to um, you know, the secular secular world, you know, just just the this reason. I mean, it's it's amazing. How I think it I know a good together. way. It's a www.idahocatholicpodcast. Well, thanks you guys for listening. It's been a great week, and thanks you guys for coming over and recording this session. Um, we'll meet again next week, and we'll share a topic. And for all of you out there, I guess we won't see you until after Christmas. So I hope you have a wonderful rest of Advent and have a Merry Christmas. And uh, Happy New Year. Good night.